Energy Matters to You podcast is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. The Energy Matters to You podcast seeks to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. Okay, Ron, here we go. Another Energy Matters to You podcast. We are back. We're rolling. We're going to have two this month. That's good. That's good. March 5th, 2019. So let's talk a little bit about utility incentives related to hardware. We all know that Eversource, National Grid, all the major utilities, when they provide an incentive, they like to do it related to a piece of equipment. So if somebody asked you, Ron, what are the, the, the top pieces of equipment that the utilities provide incentives for? How'd you answer that question? Well, right at the top of the list is lighting. And then it probably goes HVAC equipment, such as chillers, plate frame heat exchangers, pumps, all the ancillary type equipment associated with HVAC systems, compressed air systems, and variable speed drives. Those those are probably the top as far as capital type incentives for for uh, equipment. Yeah, and you and I over the last year, year and a half, two years probably, we've been to enough conferences where the they're saying the end is near for lighting. That you know the big energy incentive programs related to lighting that's that's it's going away. Well, you know certainly we've seen some saturation in the LED market. In, in fact, uh, the month of February I think was a bit slow for the local area program administrators as far as savings coming in. And I think a part of that might have to do with the saturation of lighting. So they're looking for additional measures, whether they're custom measures, more measures associated with data analytics, more systems types of approaches. Yeah. But you also mentioned you led with chillers, the HVC equipment, that chillers is a a ripe area for optimization and energy efficiency and incentive dollars. Well, typically it's large equipment, you know, fairly large kilowatt load. And depending on the type of facility, it can have long run hours, especially if it's associated with some type of process or biotech uh, facility. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that brings us to our guest here. We've got, uh, we've got Mike Flaherty from TechWorks here. Mike, uh, thanks for joining. Energy Matters to you. Happy to be with you guys today. Now, Mike, this, thanks uh, for having me. This, uh, your gig with TechWorks, this is not your, your first job, right? You've had a little experience before this? Actually, uh, I have. I've... Uh, I've, I've uh, most of my experience, though, however, before starting up TechWorks was in the industrial automation community. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of work in, uh, with equipment for uh, machinery for uh, and, and processes in industrial automation, a lot of things in packaging, printing, automotive, and that kind of thing. So this uh, thermodynamic uh, thermal energy uh, field, though, is, is a bit new and, and uh, the overall scope of things. But I've been doing it now for about uh, 18 years. Okay. Right, so, so what drew you? What uh, what problem did you see in the marketplace that led you to to think that initiating TechWorks was a good idea? Well, that's a, that's a very interesting story. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version, so we don't put the listeners to sleep. I had, uh, an, as I said, an automation background and had exposure to a lot of sophisticated equipment, sophisticated control technologies that are part and parcel of trying to do a good job to control processes and machines in, in, that, in that world. Uh, I met a fella by sort of happenstance who was uh, deeply involved in the 
thermal energy world, particularly in pumping systems. He had founded a company here in Cincinnati by the name of Systicon, and they had uh, carved out a niche for themselves to do very efficient pumping systems for big cooling uh, production facilities. Uh, when I met him, he was telling me that he thought there was some very, very good opportunities that existed to save money in chilled water production, but that he didn't really know anything about controls, and consequently, he was not able to do that himself. And uh, my response to him was that I had been a partner in a company that had been sold uh, not too long before I met him, uh, where we had a lot of control expertise, but we didn't know anything about chill water systems. So there was a sort of a natural compliment uh, that we brought to each other. And uh, after doing some investigation, it looked like there was a possibility to be able to bring some of these uh, more sophisticated automation techniques from the industrial automation world to bear on the central energy plant energy performance so that's kind of how we got going. So the idea was that he had all the process knowledge and I knew something about control. So we put our backgrounds together to start TechWorks. And as they say, the rest has been history. <laughs> so process meets controls and you've got a mechanical engineering background. Now, there's a key stakeholder that we haven't talked about here. And, and that's the folks who would actually implement, who would run a building. So what I'm curious, yes. curious to know is, yes. uh, you know, you got these smart guys, they know process, they know controls, they know extensive engineering. What did you hear from the, you know, from the end user that, uh, that led you to, to develop what TechWorks is? Well, the first thing that we heard was that uh, from people that actually knew what was going on, and I might add that was a huge challenge up front, that uh, there was a lot of uh, folks that really didn't know what was going on, and they made a lot of assumptions about how well their operations were being controlled. But uh, what we found was that the historical approach to designing and building chill water systems is sort of like a lot, a lot of things. I don't know it's all terribly unique to this world. But the, the, the plan and spec approach to putting a building up and the consequent uh, influence that has in important systems like chill water is really just make it work. You don't bother me with the details. I just need something that's going to work. And principally because the, the stakeholder, the guy that has to pay the utility bill is nowhere around during the design or the building of the, of, of the building. So... Consequently, these systems are made more to to go up, you know, and in a, in a, as easily as possible, and to be run as easily as possible. But they're not designed to be efficient. And every place we went, at back at that time, uh, they followed that approach. And every place had what we thought was a great opportunity to reduce their energy consumption by doing some things that really weren't all that. Uh, revolutionary uh, in our eyes, but they were revolutionary in the customer's eyes. So it was just an opportunity to apply some pretty standard fundamental engineering principles to a, 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 a traditional approach to building these chilled water plants and make them more efficient in the, uh, in the process. And, and I think the thing that really drew me to it from a business point of view was it just seemed like they were virtually all that way. So we, we saw a really good opportunity in that. Yeah. That's great. Let me uh, bring Ron in here for a second. Uh, uh, Mike, you, you just gave a great description of the fact that 
the, the building operator is nowhere around when the building's being built and in some cases commissioned yeah. or launched. You got a new guy coming in. Now, you've seen some horror stories, Ron, about uh, people taking over buildings that, that, uh, that had drifted far from the, the, the way they'd been initially intended to operate. Absolutely. You know, it depends on the type of building. You know, a lot of these uh, public type bid type projects, that's classic scenario where uh, the systems are installed and they don't work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Mike, that's, that's a great setup. So t- tell us, what does TechWorks do? How, how does it uh, help these buildings, optimize these buildings, help these operators uh, achieve a better managed building? Well, we approach the the client property with the idea to doing uh, to investigating three areas. One of them is how the system mechanically designed and, and built. And the second would be how is it controlled? And then third, how is the day-to-day operation uh, being handled? And what you find is you go back to that methodology that I've mentioned before, the sort of traditional bid spec make it work approach, and you find that these systems all have they often have what are known as primary secondary systems. This is where you have uh, one piping loop that's designed to create cold water and another one which is designed to deliver it out to the load. And uh, this has been a, a staple, the design for a long time. And while it works, it's, it's not very energy efficient. So there's some things you can do from a mechanical perspective to uh, address up that system without really much surgery at all. Get the water to flow in more efficiently and more effectively where you want it. And so that's, that's the first area. Where do you, how can you make sure that the water's going in the right direction at the temperature you want where you want? Because all the software in the world isn't going to fix that problem. Yeah. So we help them evaluate that. The second area is then giving them a control strategy, which is not the make it work type control strategy where your goal is just don't run out of cold water on a design day. But you approach it from a standpoint that uh, you're trying to make sure you don't run out of water or let's just say differently meet the design every day of the year, regardless of how hot it is or how big your load is. But you want to you want to do that in a way that's that's efficient and in fact, frankly, the most efficient way possible. So there's some there's some uh, control strategies that can be employed to uh, to handle that. One that we've developed uh, extensively over the year here because of our industrial automation background is one that's known as adaptive control, where we're making continuous changes. The control is now while the system operates without a human being getting in there and tweaking everything. So the idea is for the optimization algorithms to simply pick the most efficient combination of equipment, determine the most efficient set points for temperatures and pressures and that sort of thing, and then make sure that the building automation system that's actually physically connected to the devices receives that information and uses it to make uh, intelligent and energy-effective operational decisions. So that's the second area. And that is usually deployed by sort of bolting on, figuratively speaking, some uh, optimization technology into the existing building op. management system, building automation system. And then the third area, as I mentioned, is how it's operated. A lot of times this is simply things that are being done either foolishly or carelessly or even in, in good, this good spirit of uh, trying to do the right thing, but people just don't know 
what they're what they should be doing. So a lot of times this is trying to convince operators not to do stuff they've been used to doing. Uh, it's it's uh, trying to get them to understand that uh, the, the uh, there are different ways to run things. Uh, and uh, you know, there's uh, we really spend a lot of time sort of disabusing them of, of crazy notions. I think we all know the joke about the guy that goes into the doctor and holds his arm up and kind of wiggles and says, "Doc, you know, it hurts when I do that." And the doctor looks at him and says, "Well, then don't do that." Yeah. So we see a lot of we see a lot of that in the systems that we get involved in, where people just need to change their behavior on a, on a day to day basis, and then they do that uh, and really effectively kind of stay out of the way from <laughs> from what we're we're trying to tell them and what we're trying to do for them. Uh, they get uh, they'll get a much better result. So those are the three areas: the making some mechanical adjustments if necessary, making some control strategy changes, and then trying to get some local behaviors to change. Perfect. Good. So, uh, Mike, the, it makes a lot of sense. The you know the, the design approach, and then the the adaptive controls, and then fixing the operations. But I don't imagine that every building, every campus, is a good fit for what you're doing based on you know, uh, how much can be saved and the types of equipment. So tell us, who, who's a good prospect? What kind of building, what kind of issue, what kind of spend uh, makes for a good TechWorks client? Yeah, well, that's, that's a good point, Leo. The, the, we can always save people something. The, the, the only question is whether we can save them enough that it's worth them to get involved in, in commissioning a project and uh, going through it. Uh, generally speaking, uh, the, this approach that we employ can save somebody around a quarter of a kilowatt per ton hour, somewhere between 0.2 and 0.4 kilowatts per ton hour. And if you multiply that times the energy that you use to do your cooling and then the cost per unit of energy in a, a place like uh, New England where you're paying you know, 14, 15, 16 cents a kilowatt hour, uh, you can usually be effective down to plants that have maybe four or 500 tons of uh, installed production. A little better metric if you've got the wherewithal to figure it out is to go is to figure out how many ton hours you have, which is more or less what your average load is times the number of hours that you run throughout the year. If you can come up with those two metrics and multiply them together and you get a number something around a million and a half or two million, you usually can figure out a project's going to work. So um, that's that's the rule of thumb we try to give people. About 500 tons installed capacity or greater. And, uh, of course, the, the longer your system operates, for example, a hospital or a process, then, you know, the smaller that plant can be or the further south uh, it gets uh, where the load's higher. Of course, that's not going to do you much good up there in New England. But, but the point is you do pay a lot of money for electricity relative to a lot of areas in the United States. So those metrics should hold up pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's really helpful guidance. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the gross numbers apply to any kind of facility. But you'd called out uh, hospitals, and I'm wondering, you know, if a facility meets the, you know, four to five hundred tons of installed capacity, is there a type of facility that's better or or, or, or worse in terms of uh, receiving the benefits of TechWorks approach? I'm sorry, Leo. Do you mean in terms of the type of facility, whether it's a hospital or a courthouse or something like that? Exactly. Yep. Well, not, not particularly. The, the what really the, the, the net effect of that 
difference between one type of facility and another typically is just how much they have to run their their chill water plant. You know, if you have an office building uh, in 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 you know New England, uh, you know it's not going to make much use much uh, mechanical cooling between uh, you know first of November and first of April, and it's probably not going to make much on the weekends. So, you know, your, your runtime hours are, are down there. But if you've got a hospital or something like that, which has uh, people in it all the time and which has high loads, operating rooms running all, all year long where they're making cooling all year long, and, of course, that, that helps. Data centers are another one. Of course, they have pretty good loads uh, regardless of the time of year because they're not weather-dependent. Uh, and then some manufacturing processes. We've done quite a bit of work with uh, – both uh, automotive, pharmaceutical applications, uh, R&D, vivariums, production facilities, that sort of thing, where they can, they need cooling all the time, regardless of the weather. So those are the main main issues that drive it. Yeah, perfect. Hey, Mike, I noticed at your website that uh, you've uh, you've got over 250 installs and a and a billion dollars yeah. or more of savings. Can you tell us a little bit about those installs? Where are they geographically? Yeah, uh, most of our installations are in the United States. We have done them internationally in South America and Asia and in Europe. That's that's a relatively modest amount because yeah. we don't actively market there. The reason we're in those foreign locations is because we do a lot of work with U.S. companies that happen to have those locations. Okay. And those companies uh, have a tendency to be either uh, located in the north, what's called the east, the northeastern quadrant of the United States because of the utility cost or the south southern part of the United States because of the temperature profiles or they are located virtually anywhere because they just have really high cooling demand such as we do live work with automotive companies for paint shop applications and things of that nature where they got a lot of cooling all year long but uh, generally speaking the things that drive the the applicability of our system and, and the payback are going to be, uh, one, the, the utility costs. You have pretty high costs, in, again, in uh, New England relative to, for example, what we pay down here in, in, in Cincinnati. Two, uh, the amount of cooling that you have to pr- produce, again, that's driven either by the length of your cooling system or just the size of your load. And then the third thing is how much attention somebody's paid to keeping the plant in good working condition in the first place, or a nice way to put it is, is what I just said. We usually say, well, it depends on how screwed up it is. Uh, yeah, but if nobody's paying attention and, uh, you know, the equipment's not really being, you know, well cared for, people aren't watching, don't know what they're doing, you'll, you'll save a lot of money, half a kilowatt per ton we've seen. Um, if somebody's done a reasonable job, uh, and at least trying to keep their eye on it, you know, you could still wind up saving a, a couple of tenths or kilowatts per ton. One thing I think is, is interesting that I find is people think that just because a system is relatively new that it can't be optimized. Uh, or they tell me that because they get their chillers checked all the time that they can't, they really don't have any room for this. But it all starts back to the first part of the discussion we were having. If the system isn't designed to be efficient in the first place, and most of them aren't, it doesn't matter how old it is. Uh, you can, you know, you can make some uh, modest adjustments and get some pretty, pretty good savings. 
regardless of, of how uh, how the uh, how old the system is, because it hasn't been designed to be efficient in the first place. And the other thing is, people will say, "Why well, they do their maintenance all the time, and they get their chiller tubes cleaned, and they check this, check that." Again, that depends on how the system was designed, and, and and the real key to optimization is, in addition to correcting those sort of design uh, mistakes, is you have to stay after it constantly, and that's where the orchestration of the operation of all the various pieces of equipment on both the air and the central plant side uh, are you know brought together so that they're working in a way that's going to give you the lowest amount of power draw per unit of cooling output. Yeah. Good stuff, Mike. God, you know, we try to keep these podcasts to 20 minutes and uh, I, I know we could talk for another couple of hours. So this is really helpful. Two things that I want to kind of bring to close with. One is, um, can you give us a little bit about uh, your TechWorks' go-to-market strategy? How, how are you approaching the marketplace? Where's the access point? Clearly, you've, you've got some traction. You've got a bunch of installs. I'm curious about that. And then the second second thing is, if someone's interested in, in connecting with you, what's a good way to do that? Well, I'll answer the second question first. It's, it's very easy. I mean, we have a, 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 very, a very nice website. It's stuff. It's techworks, T-E-K-W-O-R-X dot U-S. And there's uh, quite a bit of good information. There's some documented case studies on there. There's, some, there's a, a form you can fill out. Pretty simple form you can fill out. We could take a whack at giving you an estimate on how much money you could save and give you an idea of whether it seems like it makes sense for a project to, to uh, unfold. Hey, Mike, um, let me, I want to jump in on that because I spent some time on the website and I saw that, that, uh, that calculate savings tool that you got. I think that's a, that's a great piece for someone just to, yeah, to you know, broad brush figure out if it, if it makes sense. So that's a you know, time well spent if you're interested in knowing if there's opportunity there for you. Yeah, and the key of that, that, that uh, tool, Leo, is if we don't want to waste our time any more than we want the customer to waste theirs. So if somebody can just get in there and bang around for a few minutes, we can both be very expeditious in figuring out if it's worth it to, to, to move further. Yeah, good stuff. So, yeah, okay. And then the second, the first question you ask, our go-to-market strategy, well, generally speaking, what we've had to do over the years is, is basically we've been knocking on a lot of doors and looking for the people that are responsible for energy. Uh, and uh, try to engage with them to say, you know, do you have chill water? Done anything about fixing it up and improving its efficiency? And if so, if not, let's talk. And that's been our main go-to-market approach. Over the last years, we've tried using some intermediate parties, but we find that that's, that's a tough sell because most of the the contractors and the integrators and so forth are, are a lot more reactionary. They're typically focused on, um, you know, the, the construction side of things rather than the energy efficiency side of things. So uh, what we have been finding out is there's been some good traction recently with service contractors. These are people that do mechanical service and control service. They are aware of the condition of plants. They are aware of the mentality of the people that own and operate those plants. And we have been uh, trying to engage more and more with those kinds of companies uh, because they can use something as as we have, they can use our product to to go to a client and say, "Have you ever thought about doing something to save energy?" Instead of just waiting for something to break and running and fixing at that point, so they become more of a consultant, a little more proactive, uh, uh, and, and really they're 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 
selling out in front of a, a problem uh, rather than waiting to, to solve one after the fact. So that's been that's been uh, a relatively recent uh, endeavor on our part, and, but it is uh, looking like it's having some traction. Good, good to hear. All right, so Mike Flaherty, TechWorks, want to thank you for, for bringing your technology to Energy Matters to you. We, we learned a lot today and uh, wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I put a nice talk with you and wish you good luck in your endeavors as well. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening. To keep up with future podcasts, please join our LinkedIn community at Energy Matters to You. That's Energy Matters, one word, the number two and the letter U. We would love to hear your comments and ideas, so please feel free to contact myself, Leo Ryan, or Ron Galuli through our LinkedIn profiles. There's work to be done. Go make a difference. <laughs>